Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. When you were younger, say teenage years, maybe even in Let's go way back. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah way yeah. back. So what were the big decisions you had to make in oh life? What were, what were the things you were oh. seeking God's will about? You remember? So that was so long ago. So, okay, I mean, some of them are going to be the same, even though times are changing. But I would say uh, career, college. Okay, what do I do? Yeah. Right. Marriage, that one didn't get answered for a long time, but <laughs> but it did, it did get answered. But I mean, those are kind of the, the big ones. The big ones, yeah. yeah. And, and I would say that, the, you know, those are, those are pretty much the questions that everybody has right. from that point even on. Yeah. Would you agree with that, that those are the big ones? I remember when I was uh, 14, 15, my big question was, who did the Lord want me to date? Wow. Now, not, not that I was allowed to date. I wasn't allowed to date until I was 16. My question was, who was supposed to be my girlfriend? <laughs> and so I had a few picked out. But to be honest with you, I really had one particular one that I wanted God to say yes on. I'm leaving. And so, <laughs> so what, was, what was funny is, you know, in Scripture, they used to cast lots to know God's will. So I decided that would be a great way to figure out who God wanted me to have as a girlfriend. So... <laughs> Yeah, it is funny now, but I was serious as can be back then. So I took each of these girls' names, and I wrote them on a small piece of paper, and I folded them up, and I put it into a hat. No joke. So do y'all remember what casting lots are, right? In the Bible, the Old Testament, in order for God to, to, to speak, they would, they would cast lots, which means they basically put it in a hat, pick it out, and that was God's will. So I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I put all, these, <laughs> put all these girls in a box, I mean in a hat. And I was like, Lord, show me your will. Show me what you want. I want to date. I want to go out with a girl that you want for me. I picked it out. I was like, no, that's not really the one I want. So I said, I said so I folded it up, I put it back in. It goes, Lord, I really want to know who you want me to go out with. And I picked it out. That's not the one. Really? Want it. On, the, on the third or fourth time, it was the right girl. So I was like, yes, Lord, you want me to go out with her. And, and I am dead serious about that. And the truth is, that's really the way we oftentimes approach God wanting to know his will, isn't it? We're really not wanting to know God's will. What we're really wanting is his stamp of approval on what we really want. Right? Lord, I want you to approve what I want. But you see, the problem with that is, that is not the Lord's will, that's our will. So here's the question. How can we know God's will. Now, when we ask that question, we oftentimes ask it too big. Oftentimes, and this is probably the most asked question that a believer has. How do I know your will for my life? Right, that's what we ask. Lord, I want to know your will for my life. Well, guess what? God doesn't work that way. He's not going to tell you his will for your life. What he's going to do is enter into a relationship and tell you his will for your next move. So really a better question is, Lord, what is your will for today? And then when tomorrow comes, Lord, what is your will for today? See, we need to think smaller because the, the truth is, God is about relationship, not about just telling us what he wants us to know. But let's see, go back even further than that, shall we? In order for, to, for us to truly ask the question, Lord, what is your will for, for me? We need to ask two basic questions. 
Number one, does God have a will? And number two, does He want me to know it? Pretty basic questions, right? Now, there's a verse in the Bible. Don't turn there, but I want you to instead turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at a couple different passages today, but start. go to Romans chapter 12. Stick your worship guide or your, uh, your ribbon or whatever you have. Stick it in there just so you'll mark the spot. <clears throat> but there's a verse in the Scripture that is probably a life verse for at least somebody, if not many people, in this room, and I think we like it because it it, it gives us hope and it and it speaks to the personal nature of God. But it's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. How many of y'all know that verse off the top of your head? All right. So is it a life verse or somewhat of a life verse? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says this. It says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So God is speaking to, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah to his people, and he's saying, for I know the plans I have for you. If you have a King James Version, what you might read is this, for I know the thoughts I have for you. So what this tells us is this, God does have a plan. He does have a purpose. He does have a will. So then, does he want us to know it? Well, tell me this. If God has a plan, does it make sense that He as a father would want to keep that a mystery to you? Or does it make more sense that as a good father, He would want to reveal that to you so that you could actually know what it is that He has a plan? Think about it. Why would God have a plan but want to keep it a secret from the one that He has a plan for? It doesn't make sense, right? Well, here's the thing. All throughout Scripture, we find prayers and we find commands about God's will. In its simplest form, God's will means this is what God's desire is for you. When it comes to your life, His will for you or His will for your life, His will for the next day, it's what does God want from you. And all throughout Scripture, we find explicit passages that say, for this is the will of God. And so, if we want to know God's will for the next step, We've got to actually figure out how to find His will. Because the truth is, His will is sometimes a mystery to us. But it's not because God is hiding it. It's because we haven't discovered it yet. And part of the joy, listen to this, don't miss this. Part of the joy of the Christian life is the discovery of His will. We look at that as a chore, and we look at that as, a, as a, uh, 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 this, this horrible thing, but it's in the searching, it's in the journey that we find true joy because we uncover things about God that we didn't know existed before. Not only that, but if God gave you His will just plain, what we want is like in the Old Testament where, where God takes His hand and He writes it on the wall, right? Lord, who do you want me to marry? Shannon. Lord, what do you want me to do for my life? Preacher, right? Lord, where do you want me to buy a house? Golf, breed. That's what we want. Guilty or not? Because we want it now. And what we really would like if we could have it our way is we would want God to give us His plan for every day for the rest of our life so we wouldn't have to trust Him. Because we don't like this faith walk. We want to know because if we know, we can actually control it. And we can also know if it's safe or not i got to tell you something, though. God is not about that. God's not going to tell you, you're going to be there in 20 years. 
Now, now he may give you a glimpse of that, and I'll tell you what's really cool. Uh, This is kind of a side note, but what's really cool is as you mature in your faith, you will find that God actually showed you what you're going to be doing a long time before, and it just took Him that long to bring it to fruition. Anybody testify to that? It's so super cool when you, when, when you look back and you go, so that's what God meant. And then it reminds you that God says, look, I've been walking with you all this time. You just didn't notice me. Because guess what? Babies don't notice those things. But the more mature you become in your faith, the more confident you are that God has been with you this whole time. And all the things that happened that didn't make sense then, you now can look and say, that shaped me. God used the trial and the suffering and the brokenness and He used the confusion and He used the mystery. All of those things to shape me into the man or the woman that I am today. On this side of it, we don't like it. On this side of it, we're frustrated and we struggle and we sometimes get angry at God. And God goes, just chill your jets. Chill. Take it easy. For I know the plans I have for you. And I like it better. I know the thoughts that I think of you. Plans for a hope, plans for a future. And so if we want to know God's will, where do we start? Well, we start with what God has already revealed as His will. Think about this. If my child comes in and says, um, I would like for you to give me, uh, I would like for you to get me a hamburger. We're at a restaurant. I want you to buy me a hamburger. And I'd say, well, okay, but I've already purchased two hamburgers. They're right in front of you on the plate. Why do you want another one? It wouldn't make sense to me to get him more when he hasn't done with... I say he. I guess that tells you. It wouldn't make sense for me to give more when he hasn't eaten what is right before him, right? So here's the thing. God's will is already explicitly explained in so many different things right before us. We're wanting to give us, Him to give us the next step when we're not even willing to do what He told us yesterday. Here's the truth. Don't expect Him to give you more until you're faithful with what you already have. Some of you are frustrated right now because you're, He won't answer me. He just won't answer me. He goes, no, I've already spoken and you've ignored me on that. Why am I going to give you something else to ignore me on? So there's all kinds of places where he explicitly says, this is my will, but let me give you three. Because I think these are three very basic starting points. So you're in Romans, right? Just hold it there. Turn over to the uh, book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, we have the first, or not the first, but we have a very clear uh, command of God's will. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 17, okay? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Ta-da! Clear, right? He very clearly says, understand this is God's will. He says, do not get drunk with wine. Actually, my page turned, sorry. Uh, Did it turn? Yeah, okay, I was wondering. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the, one, of the, one of the main things that God says is His will is that we are filled with the Spirit. 
So the question then is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Because this is God's will. By the way, it is not a suggestion. It is a command. It is not a, you might want to be, you might consider being. No, it is a, you must be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? This word filled in its original language is not a one-time deal. It is a continual filling. It's be filled and continue to be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's where it gets a little confusing. So you'd say, well, wait a minute. I was filled with the Spirit when I was, when I was born again, when I became a Christian. The answer is yes, but no. Yes, in that the Bible says that when we trust in Jesus Christ, He places His Spirit inside of us as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. The new creation that you are is because God now lives inside of you through His Holy Spirit. But that's not being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's being given the Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, we could better understand it, to yield to His Spirit. So when we're filled, what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, give me the power of Your Spirit, and I'm going to yield to Your Spirit in my life. Now, I, in my own, in, in my own head to understand this better, used to think of filling with the Spirit as a, a pitcher and dumping it into the cup, right? You got a cup, you take a picture, you fill it with, with the Spirit, and it rises up in the cup, right? But I don't think that best gives the picture. I think the better picture is you take the cup and you plant it upon a well, upon a spring, and you pop a hole in the bottom, and it fills from the bottom up. And as it fills, it keeps coming up and overflowing. And here's the reason why. If you're filling it this way, the idea is that you fill it and it goes down and has to be refilled. Isn't it better for it to fill from the bottom and it just keeps overflowing? The idea is that we are controlled by the Spirit, which means we're not doing what we want to do, but we're doing what God wants us to do. And the way we know what God wants to do is we're simply yielding to what His Spirit says. Now, really, that's the bottom line of, of knowing His will. It's just yielding to His Spirit. But at the end of the day, even though it's that simple, it's not that easy. And I say that because we wrestle with being yielded to the Spirit. Or is it just me? Does anybody else wake up on a daily basis and say, okay, today I've got to start getting my mind and my heart on things above. That's why Colossians 3 tells us, set our hearts on things above, set our minds on things above. Because it's a daily struggle. So as you are filled with the Spirit, you are being in, that is God's will for you, that daily, even, even hourly, you're allowing Him to work in you and through you. That's the first thing. The second thing, turn, if you will, just a few chapters over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I guess I kind of got this backwards, because in order to be filled with the Spirit, you have to do what? You've got to have a place for, it, for Him to fill, right? Here's what we want to do. We want all, of our all that's in our life plus Jesus. Sorry. We want, we want all of the fun, all of the, 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 the self-whatever and Jesus. Well, if you take a cup and you fill it, and then you try to put something else into it, what happens? It doesn't work that way. What, what you wind up doing is commingling whatever you're dumping in, because it'll push something out, but, but you still don't have the pureness of what you're putting in. So the second thing we know that is God's will, and really this is probably a, this is before the filling part, 
It says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 3. It is God's will. See, there's no question. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It is God's will that you be what? Sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. So it's God's will that you be sanctified. So sanctification is the process of God getting me out of me and putting Him inside of me. Sanctification is pursuing holiness. Sanctification is, is God stripping away the things that don't look like Him so that He can fill us with the things that do look like Him. We can't have one without the other. Here's what I think is a problem for many of us. We want to know God's will for a situation... But we're jumping into the, we're saying, Lord, I want to know your will. I want to do you what you want me to do. But we've, we're ignoring in the present what he's already said for us to do. And God says, no, I'm not going to tell you that. So when God is silent on his will, go back to what he's already said. Amen? Go back. Am I sanctified? Now look, ideally you would want to, I mean, I mean the goal is for us to be holy. But, but, but realistically, because we're flesh and blood, we're always going to circle back on this. We're going to have to constantly go back and circle back and say, Lord, these things in my life, chisel them out. And some things are going to be a stronghold. We're going to wrestle with them and wrestle with them. And this is a whole other message, but a stronghold requires more than just a simple prayer. It's deeper rooted. It's something that's got to be grabbed by the roots and pulled out. We'll get to that another day. But, but, but this sanctification process is not a one and done deal. It's, again, a daily thing. So it's God's will that you be sanctified, that you avoid sexual immorality. Isn't it interesting that sexual immorality is what's used here for sanctification? Now, why would that be? Because there's all kinds of things that God uses, that, that God, how, the way God sanctifies us. But I think sexual immorality is there because that is probably the, the biggest uh, issue in a person's life. And it's also the thing that, um, could, I don't know if I want to go this. So, so in, a, in a marriage, you have a husband and a wife and the two become what? One flesh, right? Now, if there's infidelity, there's a brokenness there, right? Adultery means that the one flesh has been ripped apart. So there's a wedge or there's a division. Well, marriage is a picture of our relationship with God. So we're to be one with God. We don't become God. We're not God, but we're supposed to be one with the Father. Jesus said, my Father and I are one. He also said of His people, you are to be one. And in that, He says, look, you are the church or the bride, He is the groom. So it's this oneness, it's this connection with God. And so I think the reason sexual immorality is such a big deal is because the, the, the biggest way to rip apart a husband and a wife is for adultery to occur. And that's also the biggest way to rip apart a relationship with Christ. Because that is, that is something that, that, that only the husband and the wife share. See, I share my thoughts with you. You share your thoughts with me. We share food. We sh well, we don't share food. I, I don't do that. Well, but we, we, you know, we, we share interaction. There's one thing I don't share with you, but I share with my wife. That's that, that, that physical nature of the relationship, right? That's why it's so holy. That's why it's so, it's so protected in Scripture. 
And so to be sanctified means that you are treating your body as, as, as belonging to God, not belonging to you. And so he says, it's my will, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. And then if you move over just one uh, chapter in chapter 5, verse 16, it says, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is what? God's will. So it's having an attitude of gratitude, thankfulness. So if you wouldn't ignore all the other places where God says, this is, other, he's, it's my will that you do good, right? It's my, so all, if you ignore all those other things and just look at these three, this would be a good enough start for most all of us. Are you thankful? Are you, here's how you know how thankful you are. Your thankful meter will be determined by your complaint meter. The more complaining you do, the less intrinsically thankful you really are. Your, your, thankful, your thankfulness is also gauged by your flexibility. You agree or disagree? It's true. The less flexible you are, probably the less thankful you are. Why? Because thankfulness says, hey, I'm glad to be alive. Not I'm glad I, did, or not, I want to get my way. At the end of the day, being thankful changes everything. If you, so, so let's just put these into specific situations. If, you're, if you are um, having a difficult time at your job, what is your attitude in that difficulty? It's probably complaining. It's probably pointing out all the things you don't like. It's probably the, uh, uh, not happy with the boss that you have and all these things. If you simply changed your heart, which is also a change in mind, to being thankful you have a job, being thankful your job has an air conditioning involved, or maybe it doesn't, but, you know, if you start to choose the things in your job that you're thankful for, that's going to change everything about how satisfied you are in your job. True or not true? Absolutely true. What about your marriage? Ooh. You know what we can do? We can easily be griping about all the things that our spouse doesn't do. But when we start being thankful for what our spouse does do, we kind of look at them and go, you know, I'm not married to such a bad person after all. In fact, real fun, I was going to say, compare your wife to someone really, really bad, and that'll really make you happy. But don't do that. That's not what I, that's not a, rethinking that, that's not a, but have you ever said to yourself, I'm glad I'm not married to her. Man, I'm glad he is not my husband. You ever said that? Huh? That'll make you thankful right there, right? Disregard that whole thing. <laughs> Shannon's not in here. You better not tell her what I'm saying right here. I'm, I'm going to tell. I will. Oh, she is. Oh, man. <laughs> Dang it. I thought she was in the nursery or something. We had so much fun last night. We went to the mall ball. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really a dancer. I know that you find that hugely, amazingly shocking. Um, I'm not much of a dancer. And see, I don't drink. And so that really hinders me a bunch. Because if I drank, I'd probably be a really good dancer. <laughs> but, you know, so I have all of that. All my dancing has to come from soberness. And uh, that's just not pretty. I'm just telling you. 
So, so my, my way of dealing with dancing is to make a joke out of it. I try to be as ridiculously funny as possible, so now I can say I am intentionally looking like a moron. It's not by accident that I'm... Does that make sense? I'm not telling you that for any other reason to say we had a good time last night, and um, it actually reminded me of something here, but I won't even go there. So, <clears throat> be thankful. <laughs> Did I really just do that? Be thankful. Avoid sexual immorality. Be sanctified. Be filled with the Spirit. Are you in God's will for those three? You say, well, what do I have to be thankful for? Everything. An attitude of thankfulness. You know... I probably want to make a point here that sometimes that's more difficult for some people than others. Especially if you're dealing with some sort of mental illness or some sort of depression. Being thankful is really hard. And it's not like you can just go, oh, I'm just going to be thankful. But, but even in the midst of that, if you can try to find something to be thankful for, That'll at least point you in the right direction. And, and I say that because you, you might be saying, look, I tried, 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 and I just can't. Some personalities don't allow for thankfulness easily. Right? Some personalities are naturally, they look at the gloom and doom. That's, that's the way they're wired and built. But even then, we still have a command. Be thankful. All right, so we know that if we're going to find God's will, we need to start with what we already know. But there are things that that God just isn't super clear about. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. I've got a few minutes left. Romans chapter 12. So, so what process do we use to find God's will? I want to give you a four-step process that will guarantee that you will find God's will. Guarantee it. But I'm not going to guarantee how quickly it will happen, and I'm not going to guarantee that it will be easy or painless, but I am going to guarantee that if you will do these four things, God will show you what He has planned for you. Guaranteed. That's also predicated on the fact that you're, you're doing what He already said to do. Okay? So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, and we'll look at verse 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's it. Two verses of how to know God's will for the next, okay? It says, therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy. So it gives us a backdrop. Our, our perspective is with the backdrop of God's mercy. Well, now, what, what is involved in God's mercy? It's the fact that He's good. It's the fact that He's kind. It's the fact that He's loving. It's the fact that He's just and He's righteous. So, so His nature and His character is the backdrop of our seeking out His will. In view of God's mercy, he says, offer yourselves, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I love this word offer. If you have a King James, it's going to say present your bodies. 
To offer or to present literally means yield your body. In in the other place in Scripture, the same word is translated yield. So what does it mean to yield? It means two vehicles are traveling to the same intersection. One of them stops and and gives way to the other to go ahead. So to yield your body to God as a living sacrifice literally means you stop going what, the direction and the plan that you have and you step in behind His plan. So the first thing you and I have to do if we're going to know God's will excuse me, is we have to yield. Now, we don't yield very well, do we? We know that because I've seen you drive. I am going to be in front of you, right? How many of y'all like it when there's a yield and, and you just, you know, you always... We don't yield very well, especially if we don't feel like they deserve for us to yield to them. Can I just tell you this? God does deserve for you to yield to Him, but not only that, it's the smartest thing you could possibly do. I don't know about you, but the times that I've taken control of my life and tried to do what my will is, I've pretty much messed it up 100% of the time. Anybody else? One time I bought this boat, and I knew I wasn't supposed to buy this boat. I'm not going to say which boat it was because my wife is here and she will remind me of this in future times when I want to buy another boat. So I'm just going to say, I found this boat and I wanted it. But, and you might say, that's a silly illustration. No, when you, to, 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 to walk in the Spirit means that on everything you're listening to what God has for you. It's not just the super big stuff. Who am I going to marry? You know, where am I going to go to school? What am I going to do for a living? It's the small stuff too. You know, should I buy a Lexus or should I buy a Yugo? I mean, it's, it's the, you know, and, and consequently, it might be the Lexus that he wants you to buy. I, there, there might be a reason, and I can get into that later, but I bought this boat. I found it for sale. It was the perfect deal. That was the clue number one. And, um, and so I went, and as I was going... In my mind, I'm going, you know what? You didn't pray about this, and you don't have a peace about this. But I overruled the peace of God because I wanted the boat. So I bought it. That thing was a nightmare. I mean, it was a nightmare for a long, long time. Finally, I got out from under it, and the Lord reminded me, don't even buy a boat without asking me first. Have you ever done that? Have you ever moved forward and bought something? It seems to be purchases are, are like this, right? You bought something, and after you bought it, you, you knew while you were buying it, the Lord said, don't do it, don't... Okay, go ahead and do it. And then He stuck you with it. I remember one time that I... And I think I've told you this before, but uh, when I was in college, I served a church, and I was kind of anxious there because it, it, it wasn't a church that I wanted to be at, but it was the church that God wanted me at. But I decided to leave... And when I left, I was unemployable for over a year, which is crazy because I had, I, had, I had skills that some churches needed, but they wouldn't even give me the time of day. And here's what the Lord said. He said, don't ever leave a church unless I say to leave a church. Got that one. Check. Check. In fact, I'll tell you the truth. When I came here to First Baptist, um, I, I, I literally told him, I said, look, I will not leave here until God says it's time to leave. 
So you don't have to worry about me hanging on too long or leaving too soon. No matter what happens, I will be here because I've left one other time before when God said don't leave, and it was misery. Can anybody testify to that? Here's the deal. Why would God keep you in a bad situation longer than you think you need to be here? Why would He do that? Could it be because He needs to teach you and mold you and shape you, and that's the way, that's the fire in which He does it? And could it also be that you're there for a person? For one person? I heard a testimony not too long ago about that happening. Somebody was in a job, and, and, and he was there for a person. After that happened, God moved him on somewhere else. All right, so it says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, yield your bodies as living sacrifices. So we're a living sacrifice to God, not a dead sacrifice. To be honest, dead sacrifice is a lot easier. You want to know why? Because a dead sacrifice can't get up and walk off the table. But, but I'm constantly wanting to get off the table. How about you? Right? Okay, Lord, I'll offer myself. Oh, I like this over here. No, okay, I'll offer myself. And I feel like schizophrenic sometimes. But here's the thing. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices because we're offering ourselves to the God who knows us better than we know ourselves. And when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, we essentially die to ourselves so He can raise us up to live for Him. Now, to yield, here's the most important thing. Yielding to God, when you get to the place in your life where you truly yield before you know what your calling is for, that's the best place on the planet. I can tell you personally that when you get to the place where you say to God, I don't really care where, how, when, how much, or why. If you want me there, I'm there. I want to tell you, when you get to that place, it is the best place you will ever be. You will find more satisfaction, you will find more joy, and you'll find more peace in that place. Let me tell you why. Because you know that God doesn't make mistakes. You know that He doesn't get scared. You know that He doesn't make false moves. You know that when you have given yourself fully to whatever God has for you, all you have to do from that point on is listen and obey. And really, from that point on, it's all God's fault. Seriously. At that point on, it's all on God's shoulders, not on yours. That's a great place to be. Great place to be. The Lord over the last couple of years has, 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 has been refining my own heart and stripping me from all the things that I love so that the only thing that I want to love is His perfect will. Now I have to tell you that when you get there, it doesn't mean that you'll always stay there because the world has a way of being real sparkly and shiny, right? But at the end of the day, when you get in that spot, if you can stay in that spot, it makes for a marvelous life. I can tell you with absolute honesty, I love everything about my life right now. I love all of it. But if God were today to say, I want you to pick up and go to Zimbabwe. I want you to move to China. I want you to go to Atlanta or Miami. I like Miami. I used to live there, but I want to live there now. Or Detroit. Or inner city New Orleans. If he were to say that today, 
I would tell you next week, God has spoken. I must go. Now, I tell you that simply to say that is the heart that God wants all of us to have. And, and, and how can you get to that point? You can get to that point because you trust in the God that you serve. He's a good, good father. Why, why do we think that God is about destroying our life? I'm not, I'm not going to say yes to God without knowing what he wants to do because he might send me to Africa. And it's almost like we think God is up there going, yes, yeah, say yes, I dare you, say yes. You say yes, I'm going to send you to such miserable place, you'll be miserable the rest of your life. Why would we think God is like that? Is that the way you are? Tim, is that how you treat your kids? It's not. Anybody in here treat your kids that way? Chances, is that what you... <laughs> Maybe once or twice. You know, if they deserve it, I'll be honest with you. There are times, suffer, but other, for the most, you know, most parts. You know, for the most part, I want, I want the best for my children. How am I a better father than God? How are you a better mother than God? You're not. In fact, if we really get down to it, it, wouldn't it, if you were God, wouldn't you be offended that so many of your children think that you're out to destroy their life? Wouldn't that be the ultimate knife in the heart, so to speak? I'm glad God is not emotionally unstable. I'm really glad. When you get to the point where God, where you have yielded to Him, Lord, I offer my body. Here's why. If you offer your body... You've offered your heart and your head. Because your body's a reflection of your heart and your head. I'm not saying that you have to want to go or to do what He says to do. Not even Jesus wanted that. You remember Jesus in the garden? Lord, if it's, your, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He was, he was under such emotional strain. He was so burdened, so pressed down by what was about to happen that the Bible says that he sweat like drops of blood. We now know scientifically that that is a physical condition when you're under a, such excruciating sweat that you can have drops of blood come out through your sweat pores. That is the most, most excruciating stress that you could have. And Jesus said, but not my will, yours be done. He said, I don't want to do this, but I want to be yielded to my Father's will. That's what He asks of you and me. So we offer, we yield our bodies, holy and pleasing to God. This is a spiritual act of worship. There's no greater act of worship than offering yourselves, yielding yourselves to God. And then he says this. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I love this, this verse. To conform means to masquerade. Now, what's a masquerade? That's what I was talking about earlier, actually. That was the point. To masquerade is to put on a mask and pretend with the crowd that you're somebody you're not. Here's what the Bible's really saying. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are not the same person you used to be if you are in Christ. You are born again. You are a child of God. He has placed His Spirit inside of you. Why are you acting as if you're not? That's what he's saying. Do not conform, do not masquerade like the world, but instead be transformed. That word transform in the Greek, metamorpheou, 
It means to be transformed, to be changed. The word metamorpheu is the word we get for what? Metamorphosis, which is what happens to a, a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. This ugly thing, I guess they can be cute, but this hairy-legged thing turns into a beautiful little butterfly, right? And, it, and, it, and it's, this meta, it's this change that happens. Here's what the Bible says. Do not masquerade any longer like the pattern of this world. Do not look like them. Do not think like them. Do not talk like them. Do not act like them. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. Bottom line, if you want to know God's will for your next step, do what God has already said. Start there. And then do four things. Yield. Give Him a yes before He tells you where. That's the ultimate of faith. And believe that He's not going to do something to you or in you that is not for His own glory and for ultimately your own joy and completeness. You say, well, how does that work for the Christians who are sacrificing for the gospel? Do you know what? We're looking at that from a Western safe perspective. Those who are giving their lives as martyrs for the gospel, especially in the Middle East, they consider it pure joy that God would consider them worthy to proclaim the gospel with their very life. We look at it so differently, don't we? So, yield... The second thing is ask, Lord, what is your plan? The third thing is seek. The Bible says, search for me and you will find me when you search half-heartedly. Oh, when you search with all your heart. What that means is your heart's already in tune with God. And since you've already yielded, since you're asking, the Bible says, does anybody, any father, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? No. How can you, if you are good, a good father, how can you give good gifts to your children, not expect your Father in heaven to give even better? So yield, ask, search, and then here's the best part walk. You say, well, wait a minute. Are you saying I'm supposed to do something before I know for certain what God is calling me to do? Sometimes, yes. I can tell you my own experience. I have more times than not, had to walk where I thought God was leading me before I knew that that's where God was leading me. Why? Because again, it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about what God is doing in you, not what God is doing through you. So question, what do you need to know from God? Maybe it's job. Lord, what do you want me to do for my job? One of the big things for me was, Lord, is, is this the right woman for me to marry? That was tough. Not because of her, but because I knew the life that God had, had called me to, and I wasn't sure He called her to it as well. She, she could probably tell you, I actually drove her through the hood one day. Seriously. I drove, I drove her through this apartment complex that actually was full of Kurdish refugees. And I said... Would you be okay living here? She's like, uh, yeah, I think so. As I said, you know, if you marry me, this is where you might wind up. I don't know if I was trying to scare her off 
I was actually, I was actually trying. I was so concerned that God called me and not her. And I didn't want to get her into something that God had not called her into. So that was the prayer for a while. I wanted to marry her. I wasn't sure that it was God's purpose. Turns out 26 years later, it was. I tell people she's my anchor. She keeps me from drifting into places that we don't belong. And I'm the, I'm the sail. I keep her from staying where it's comfortable and safe and uh, boring. <laughs> See, it works great. So I'm always dragging an anchor. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it that way. You totally, you totally ruined the point I was trying to make. She's my, she's my sea anchor. Put it that way, okay? So if you're out in the ocean and you, and, and you want to slow your drift, you throw out a sea, a sea anchor. It's basically a giant bag with a hole in the back of it. It doesn't keep you from moving. It, it, just, it, just, it just slows you down. Uh, yeah, Tommy, I'm going to need to have lunch with you today because I'm, I'm thinking... I actually do have a doghouse, and my dogs do love me no matter what I do. So, 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 are you wrestling with relationships? Is what I'm saying. <laughs> if you are, welcome to the club. I hope, I hope you will wrestle with a relationship and ask Lord Jesus, "Is this your will?" Listen. The only thing worse than not being married is being married to someone you shouldn't be married to. Amen? It's better to not be married ever than to marry the wrong person. We oftentimes marry the wrong person because we didn't ask the Lord about it and we didn't listen to Him when He said, it takes great courage to follow the Lord's will. By the way, being single is a gift. The Bible says so. So if you're single, don't take what I said, meaning marriage is the ultimate thing. Sometimes God has that as a plan and it's perfectly okay. I hope you hear that. So is it kids? Is it school? Some of y'all are making decisions. What do I do for school? Where do I go to college? Some of y'all are graduating college, Sarah, and you're asking yourself, what do I do for a job? Trust me, the Lord knows, and He's good. So slow down, yield, ask, seek, and start walking. What's the worst that could happen? Lord, I thought, I thought you said this, you must not have. The Lord goes, you did well. You haven't done anything that's going to destroy your life. In fact, I'm going to teach you through this in ways that I never could have taught you otherwise. He's a good, merciful God. Amen? This morning, what do you need to ask God for? What's the next thing? This morning, if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you into this relationship. God wants you as a part of His family. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God's grace is sufficient for you. But the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He extends to you, even this moment, an invitation to know Him. 
and for him to become the Lord or the master of your life. We don't, we don't use those words often, but what it means is you're surrendering your life to his. Would you close your eyes, close your eyes and bow your head? Church, I, I feel like in this moment, there's, there's such hope inside of you. Because I believe that in this room, there's, a, there's just a, a room full of people who want to do God's will. But as a shepherd, I want to say to you, you've got to slow down a little bit and listen and take intentional steps as he speaks to you. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Father in heaven, my prayer today is that you would open up our hearts to be faithful to your calling. Lord, I pray that you would use today's scripture to penetrate even the darkest corner. Lord, I know that somebody today has been saying no in some area of their life because they're afraid of what you might do. Lord, I pray that you would tell them that fear is a liar. That the enemy comes to lie, to kill, to steal. And that that lie is because the enemy knows that what you have ordained for them is good. I pray that even now, they would tear down these walls and let you into every corner of their life. Father, give us courage today to be obedient. We ask in Jesus' name. Will you stand? Kevin's going to lead us in a song. This is a time for you to make any decision. You can make it public. Maybe, maybe what you've heard today has made you think, you know what, I need to do this. Do it. Do it right now. Don't leave this place having heard from God and not yielding to it. Let's sing together. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.